Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are actually helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing investments? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketer podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenues through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you will hear by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve their critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern and Omnicom Agency, and I'm joined with my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And today I'm excited to welcome to our podcast a very unique guest, Heidi Bailey. She is the VP of Futures and AI of Integer, which I find to be the most interesting title. And so Heidi, welcome to our podcast. And let me just start by asking you, what is that title? What do you do? And and how did you get there to the future? I want to get to the future. So <laughs> tell us about all that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my title is actually interesting. I um, For the last few years, I have worked at Integer to kind of build up our data science and AI practice. And during COVID, as many know, was very difficult and different things like that. And so what I, I ended up doing is I started to take classes on uh, on futurism, like the methodologies, the frameworks, and I actually came across um, uh, it was I, it was IBM Think. They had moved everything into the virtual space, and I think on the last day of IBM Think, there was a futurist who gave this incredible speech about the future, about how to think in terms of futurism and stuff like that. And so I kind of found a, um, if you will, almost like a a gap in what agencies uh, offer today, right, to clients. It's all about data measurement, it's all about AI machine learning, it's all about building these big systems, but it's not really about thinking through what AI actually means in terms of ethical implementation. How do you do it in a way to where you're still empowering your employees to do their job as well, right? And so I kind of um, created this job role for myself and said, this is kind of where we can offer some very interesting services to clients. And so that's kind of what I do right now. I lead a team of innovators and data scientists. And what we do is we lead the strategy um, of all AI for, you know, across all the different clients at Integer. And so it's a really interesting role. Like we look for opportunity areas. What a fantastic role. I've been a student of Peter Diamentis and who he's a futurist. Uh, He developed the X Prize. He's friends with all the Silicon Valley. And, you know, he says the human mind has a very difficult time seeing the changes, exponential changes, Mm -hmm. because we're, you know, and so it's very hard for us to think through what is the future, what is the future impact, and how fast the future then becomes the norm. Yes. the, The rise. Would you share before we get into it, maybe one of the most interesting frameworks that you learned in your classes? Uh, Well, there's a a few different ones. One of them that's really simple to do is essentially the gathering of signals, which means, and it's basically facts, right? So you just gather a lot of facts with your team in regards to any topic. So the future of, let's just say road trips or the future of automobiles or whatever that may be. And you start to look at things that are happening today already. Um, Like what are interesting things that companies are doing today, right? 
And once you do that, you kind of underlyingly can start to understand the signals or the drivers of this. What is the market shift? Where is it? Where is it? um, Where is it now? And where is it going to? And because you're doing this exercise in conjunction with your team, you have a multitude of different facts and interest levels, right? Of all the different people coming in. So there's really no bias. And it allows for you to very quickly say, hey, this market is shifting from, say, like small businesses, for instance, data have been data poor. Now they're going to be becoming data rich because of the access of data through services like AWS, right? And so very quickly, you can get to a very inspiring session with your teams to, to have them think outside the norm. Oh, that's, so that's one of the easiest ways, yeah. Interesting. Elliot, I know you have uh, some questions. I'm going to throw it over to you. Hey, thanks. Heidi, you touched on this a little bit, but I just I found this so fascinating. So I, I do want to quote it. So you're a member of the new integers uh, growth science practice that, quote, yeah. expertly merges data, tools, AI predictors, and data mining modules with your extensive commerce and retail expertise to significantly drive measured and proven growth. And there's a lot to unpack there. So can you please elaborate a little bit and share what makes that such a powerful offering moving forward for clients, uh, given the future of commerce? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think what how we're a little bit different or maybe how we're structured in our team, and I'm sure there's there's many agencies that do this as well, but we essentially have restructured our teams in order to be able to deliver along the entire kind of, from a descriptive perspective, right? When it comes to data and analytics, all the way through to prescriptive. Um, and then we have invested heavily in like technology and tools and in talent um, to be able to deliver that. Um, but truly, I think where we're a little bit different and also where my team kind of comes in is that we're always consistently trying to drive prescriptive analytics. How can we actually make something happen? Um, and this could be anywhere from, you know, and you sit, you sit in all these client meetings, I'm sure you guys have as well, where they're like, the logo needs to be bigger or I don't like the color blue, change it to red. And so what we're trying to do is enable our teams to be able to sit there and say, okay, well, if you add two products in this image versus one, this is what's actually going to happen to your conversions. Or if you execute this in Facebook versus Instagram, this is what's going to happen to your engagement rate. And so we don't really necessarily want to build like one massive AI system. It's essentially how can you enhance everything from briefing process all the way through to measurement and activation in media, whatever that may be, to be enabled by AI and machine learning. But as long as it makes ethical sense, right, there are certain places where you wouldn't want to intercept AI. Um, but that's kind of how we're structured. And, and I feel the approach is very differently from other agencies who are just trying to build like one massive AI system, right? So I, I, I have a follow-up question, Elliot. You talk about ethical several times. Where is the ethical line? What is that line? Um, yeah, so, you know, it all depends. And I think this is also where future thinking comes into play. And I think we, there's a question around that a little bit later on. But typically, when you think about um, ethical implementation of AI, everybody just wants to do AI to do AI, to offer something new, to make more money or whatever it may be. But if you think about it from a future standpoint, it could, there is a future scenario where AI could essentially take us, all of our jobs and probably do it much better. I mean, it's not going to, that's not going to happen for a long period of time as AI is still very singular focus at this moment in time. And it can't really think like a human yet, but it could eventually happen in 10 to 20 years. So if that's a future you don't want to support, then for me, which, which I don't want to support that, I will always build a tool that has some sort of human input to it, whether it's the humans making the final decision or whether they're involved in building it from the ground up. Right. And so because we're involving different teams in this way, 
It also allows for you to understand if there's biases in your data. And then if you're training your people up in this way as well, then they have an understanding what the output of AI is, because typically that's a black box. You don't really know how it's making a decision, its decisions. But if everyone who is involved in a project understands the underlying training data set, what's in it, what's not in it, what might be missing, then you can get to a very ethical way of implementing AI across the organization. That's very interesting. Elliot, I, I know you have a follow-up question. Um, it feels very Westworld. Meaning when you, when you think of they crack quantum computing and the mind is connected, do we, do the robots ever take over? Um, and I understand, you know, it's a very interesting thought process, which is AI could change the Mm -hmm. world in many ways that we can't even see quite yet, or are afraid to even recognize the, the, the power of what AI can do. Exactly. And if you think about it, there's a very interesting book and I, I that I recently read, and I forget the title, but I could send it to you later. Um, but they talk about how in the history of you know technology and innovation, there have always been years and years and years of all countries always talking to each other to then understand, you know, what are the rules, what are the regulations? Like those, even think about like nuclear, right? Like the nuclear age in the night when 1940s, 1950s. I mean, it took them a while to reach accords and and different things between the government, but there really isn't anything like that. There's no body of governance for AI. So anyone that has the capability to learn and build an an AI can essentially do that without any implications and can just release it. Um, So that is really scary. And uh, and, and if you think about that, those are the things that need to be regulated and very quickly. Yeah. All right. That's that's well, that's for that's our whole nother podcast, the global (laughs) politics and and infrastructure. Elliot, I know you have a question that. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole topic to unpack there. So kind of taking a step back Uh for a second there, Heidi, I know you're also a member of the product advisory board at at Data Robot. And so you're speaking a little bit about, Uh you know, human behavior and machine learning. So Russell and I have spoken a lot about the neurosciences behind human behavior. And so can you unpack a little bit about how Data Robot is using machine learning to put the science, if you will, back? into data science? Yeah. And then just for those who don't quite understand what data robot is, but essentially they have, it's a company, it's an AI cloud platform that has automated um, the almost the entire data science lifecycle, right? So anywhere from the data preparation, how you prepare it for training, then to the training itself. So with their auto ML and auto TS products, so auto machine learning and auto time series, all the way through to how you then deploy it, but then also wow. implement it into application. So essentially you can spin up an AI that is working and can be used by your teams within a week um, using wow. their systems, right? So really an, um, uh, accelerating the process of data science, right? There is a talent shortage. And then there's also the time spent in terms of coding and, and data prep. So they've automated that whole thing and make it very easy. And so if you think about you know, true scientific research, it typically starts, and even neuroscience or anything that you're trying to solve for, typically starts with a, a question or you're wondering about something or you have an hypothesis. And if your data science teams are always tied up in terms of uh, having to code for months and months and months, and they're on very strict timelines and deliverables, it doesn't leave a lot of space for thinking about the other things that they need to think about. And so it, what Data Robot enables us to do is essentially speed to market, right? But also the teams now have more time to actually put more critical thought into what they're trying to address. And then at the same time, you can build multiple systems at one time to, or machine models or whatever, at the same time so that you can solve your hypothesis. And if it doesn't, you just you know start over, but you've not invested a lot of time or effort. 
and so that's that's really I think how they can they put the science you know back in data science. That's fantastic. We'll have to you know I'm sure we'll put that in our link. But what a fascinating company that now simplifies the complicated as a cloud service. I know I'm going to personally check mm -hmm. that out. That is this is a fascinating <laughs> area. Maybe give us a little bit about the role of Integer as a member of the Commerce Group and where retail is going. Isn't that where we want to go to, Elliot? Yeah, so with Integer being a member of the Omnicom Commerce Group, which mm -hmm. we've talked on previous episodes with the CEO, Sophie Dorani, they recently evolved from the Omnicom Retail Group to the Omnicom Commerce Group. And so can you talk a bit about the nuances in your own opinion uh, between commerce and retail, especially as it relates around physical, digital, and social? I know you've spoken a lot about immersive commerce. I have a follow-up question, mm -hmm. question for you on that. Yeah, for sure. So if you think about like in retail in general, if you, you know, if you ask anybody what is retail, the first thing they'll probably say is like a physical store, right? And so uh, by making that shift into commerce, it really encompasses more of that online world, right? And so you start to look at it more like an omni-channel space. But what's very interesting about this is um, I think it was uh, last year in November, I had the chance to be uh, with this guy named Doug Stevens, who is the founder of advisory firm Retail Profit, a super interesting person. And I also subsequently bought and read his, la his latest book called Resurrecting Retail, um, which I highly recommend for anyone who's kind of interested in the future of retail and things like that. And within this book, he's had several conversations with people as he was writing this book. And one of them with, was with Michael, his name is Michael Sakor, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, but Michael had stated that we're moving from a world of channels and e-commerce to a world of, e, uh, of ecosystems and habitats instead, which is so interesting to me. And the chairman of Alibaba um, has coined this the new retail or commerce type of model. Whereas, and the easiest way to explain that is within omni-channel, you still have the company in the middle and then you're just offering services like here's our e-commerce channel and here is, here's our Amazon stuff that we're doing and here's maybe our physical store and here's our website, right? So companies at the center and then you have all your little channels that kind of surround the company. But if you're, work, you know, if you're working towards a new commerce or new retail type of model, the customer becomes the center of this and then you're offering them habitats uh, with your company. And so the customer's at the center and then you have habitats around them that offer everything that they need from financial services to uh, easy way to buy things. And like the, the uh, best example of this is probably Alibaba ecosystem, right? Where they're, they're centered completely around what their customer wants, all driven by data science and massive amounts of data that's coming in. And then they offer you things like Tabao and Tmall and Tmall Luxury Pavilion, but also financial services. And say so they, they don't even care how consumers get, get to that environment. They just care that they stay in there and that they can seamlessly move around mm -hmm. and that they're offering the best habitats and ecosystems for those customers. And that's how they're building their business. You know, so if you, what I'd yeah. like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is the, is oh, the, the word habitat. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it just changes the context of the conversation exactly. and the meaning by just that one simple word, a habitat. Mm -hmm. A habitat, yep. Fascinating. And so, and so, when you think about like stitching, stitching together even the meta metaverse or different, you know, different things like that that are coming to play, you know, it makes perfect sense. It just becomes another habitat for your brand versus another channel that you have to explore. Yeah. Yep. 
Ellie, you want to go ahead with your follow-up? Uh, no, that was actually perfect. Thanks, Heidi. One of my questions was around yeah. to share an example of an organization that is kind of seamlessly integrating an immersive mm-hmm. commerce experience, and you nailed it with the Alibaba example. So uh, you've also talked on the past about specific tactical uh, uh, applications of AI, one being conversational AI or kind of chatbots, mm-hmm. as let's call them. So you've you've likened conversational AI experiences to the beginning of social media, which I found fascinating. And that yeah. social was what was initially about engagement, as you put it, has evolved into a commerce platform. As we all know, you essentially buy from a photo now on Instagram or, mm-hmm. or, or a video on TikTok. So can you tell us a little bit about the technology invest, advancements that you feel will get conversational AI into the current stage of social, but at a faster pace? Yeah. Like if you think about, you know, if you think about chatbots or, or even those types of things, experiences in the past have been really scripted, right. And could be sometimes frustrated where you end up just typing, give me, give me a representative, representative, you know, those types of things. And so in, I, you know, in the last couple of years, and there's some really interesting companies that are doing this now, but they're essentially offering Sim, or the technology is built on symbiotic AI um, capabilities. And so what I mean by that is symbiotic is it, it learns. The more you speak to it, the more you learn from it, right? And so as you're having this conversation, it becomes really, really smart in regards to your preferences and different things like that. Um, and most of the time, this technology is already trained using your own customer data and so it knows what your purchase history is. It knows what you've bought in the past. And so it can make recommendations very quickly. Like, hey, I also think based off this algorithm that I'm built on that you might also like this shirt or these pants or these shoes. And so it makes it very easy and fast in order to lead to commerce. So where you would never have trusted a chatbot to make a purchase for you, essentially now because you're having this conversation, and they almost become like your shopping assistant, if you will, your wow. AI shopping assistant. Wow. You can quickly drive to, oh, this was also a really great experience, right? And now I have an emotional connection with the brand. Um, and so where it's gone from scripted, it's now becoming very dynamic, where you're almost making that personal connection, you know, in the in the digital space. Is there a platform that you would we could have listeners uh, investigate that is one of the leading chatbots that accomplish that? And it does change the experience. Anybody? I can't. I cannot think of the, uh, the name of the company that we recently talked to that was very interesting. But I can definitely get you the name um, after this. I'll send it to you guys. Okay, I think it would be you good. You want to leave it to leave behind? Yeah. Because, yeah, I'll you know, put that in the description for audience uh, when we really, post. You're really hitting the sense of you know, and our division, OPMG, uh, Omnicom pers- Precision Marketing. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about personalized marketing at scale, but mm-hmm. the word personalized infers a human connection and human connectivity, not just. Mm-hmm a recommendation engine. And so this art, the AI actually having the humanness and the ability to infer and communicate, and as you say, become a shopping partner is a pretty radical breakthrough. You know, Mm -hmm. we're always talking about the next best communication at the right time and the right channel, but here we're now advancing it to a whole nother level of dynamic conversation versus delivery of message. Yep. And to that end too, like the technology is like the underlying technology, right? Drives kind of the the conversation or what the AI may say next. But to that end, you also need to think, and especially when you're talking about a personal experience, you have to think about the voice of the brand when it comes to AI, because it's never been, because that was what a chatbot was meant to do, right? To take the place of 
um, of wait times when people were calling in with issues and different things like that. Whereas now you have to think about what is your voice of the brand, right? And then how can you make sure that this voice had that you can scale it? And so there's interesting companies like readspeaker.ai who are doing things just like that, where it gives you the ability to have kind of this seamless integration with your technology, but also with your voice. Yeah, you, I, that's yeah. fascinating because if you were the W Hotel, your voice would be radically different than if you're, let's just grab one Holiday Inn, right? Those are two exactly. pretty con- contrasts. The other yeah. thing is I'm sitting here thinking about this power of the chatbot is its application is pretty ubiquitous. It's not just mm-hmm. retail, but it could be almost any brand that someone is coming now wants conversation with the sales rep, the this who is now a chat. It changes what could actually be happening in our new web ex, web based experiences. Exactly, and you can you can execute this across everything, not just your website, right? Within social, it integrates with with all your different habitats, right? Yeah. Even the metaverse, habitats. exactly. What a fascinating yeah. word. Yeah, great. I love that. We're yep. cha- so the word, so is the word channel going to change to habitat? Is that what you see coming in the coming five years? I think the most innovative companies are definitely going to start looking at it that way for sure. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Go ahead, Elliot. I'll throw it back. Yeah, to that you. leads actually to our closing question, kind of how we kicked it off. You know, Heidi is a certified futurist. You know, what are a few tips you recommend to CMOs that listen to our, our show here to ensure they're successful in transforming and growing the organizations as they try to keep pace with the evolution of retail and AI. That's one great tip Mm -hmm. on thinking more of it as habitat-based, but just maybe one or two others as we kind of close here. Yeah. And I think this goes back to what I said before too, but you know, I'm, I'm truly just at the beginning stages uh, of learning about futurism and how to think like one. And I truly just did it in order to be able to think more creatively about, uh, about my job uh, to be inspiring to my team and different things like that. Um, but the more I get into it, the more I realize that that is something that is missing. That's a huge gap from a lot of clients, right? Because I think ultimately where a lot of people get stuck is that they think of the future very much as it is today, uh, which is not the case. I mean, you have to intentionally destroy some of the thoughts you have about what exists today when you're thinking about um, what might exist in the future. And so to that end, one of the things, and, and I've you know seen this and read this in a lot of places, but there are essentially saying, you know, you need at least one person on staff that can think in this way to drive creative execution, but also be able to think 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Because the one thing about the future that doesn't exist is data. There's no facts about the future. So you can kind of create it, right? But you need people who can think about it in a creative way in order to understand where you need to go. And then the second thing would be to upskill your employees very, very quickly. Because typically AI has been, uh, you know, centralized uh, on an AI or data science team or the data analytics team, right? Like this, it kind of sits there and you guys do AI and we're going to do account and creative and that kind of thing. But where you're starting to see in the way that we're starting to work is that if I'm building a creative AI system, I pull in creatives to help me build it. I, build, I, I have strategists that come in and help me to um, gather training data sets and different things like that so that they understand how the whole process works. And then I allow, I want to allow them to run their own scenarios, right? They they don't need my team to run their own AI scenarios. They can just do it on their own. But if you're really starting to work in a way like that, the, the team that you're empowering with AI has to then understand the output. And they still have to make that final decision to say, no, this is actually wrong because I know my job better than this AI and I'm not going to agree with what it's telling me to do. 
And then coming back to us to say, hey, we probably need to retrain this or whatever, right? Because there is something wrong in the system. But in order to do that, you really have to retrain your employees. So those would be my two, you know, kind of leave behinds. Think in terms of futurism. And then number two is upskill um, employees very, very quickly. Heidi, I have to say this is a, an incredible interview. I hope we get a chance to talk yeah. again. I definitely, yeah, know, I definitely know it challenges the human mind as neuroscience you know, and that a passion of that Kern has and Ellie and I are, are deeply involved in is it is very hard for the reptilian brain to be able to see the impact of 20 years. Those are special mm -hmm. individuals, but it sounds like it is a skill that can be trained and mm -hmm. that it's very important to know, as they say, is, you know, where is the puck going to skate to where the puck exactly. is going to don't skate to where the puck is, has to be now embedded within the culture of a marketing organization and within an agency organization. Mm -hmm. So um, I really thank you for sharing. I know I'm going to go and check out Data Robot uh, when we finish. So thank you so much. And I also want to say on behalf of Elliot and myself, thank you to all our listeners. Um, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. It's our mission to bring you the best and the brightest. And until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern, an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.